I think what you start to see more of is you see the convergence of tech and talent. And it's less of a revolution and more of an evolution. And when you have people involved, it takes a lot of time to change mindsets. Do they want to actually go on site and get access to talent the first time? There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. Companies today face a global war for talent, and high-skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top freelancers to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Estes. My guest today is Marcus Sawyer, the CEO of Yoss, a platform that drives the digital transformation and disruption of business models to shape the future of work. Hi, I'm Marcus Sawyer, CEO of Yoss. Thanks for having me. Before we start talking about Yoss, I want to talk about you a little bit. I mean, you aren't always a CEO of a staffing platform. You actually were going to be a professional athlete. Well, I thought I was going to be a professional <laughs> athlete. <laughs> Slightly different, right? And I thought that for a number of years, which actually helped me quite a lot. And when we say football. When we say football, we mean real football. The one that you use. Right, like the NFL. You, you know the ones that where the ball is on the floor and you typically use your feet to kick it? Right. Okay. I just, I just wanted to be yeah, 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 clarify yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit because there's probably <laughs> people listening here in the United States thinking that you're a wide receiver. Or... Yeah, I could probably could have been. No, <laughs> but um, yeah. So I'm talking what we might call in my current home of the United States soccer. Okay. But yeah, I mean football. What was one of the the things that you learned by, when you were playing football that you still carry with you today? Like, what were some of those key lessons? There's a couple of really key lessons that I, I bring today and. One of them is about teams. You learn very much from playing a team sport. The business is synonymous with teams. And I've actually talked about that quite a lot. If your team is not performing, your business is not going to necessarily be performing. So teams are really, really important. How you organize those teams, how you structure those teams, what the strategy is and what the game plan. And then the other part is discipline and grit. So in order to get the outcomes that you want to get, you have to be disciplined. So that means that you have to train. And in the business world, you've got to learn, you've got to understand your craft. So really around discipline, grit and building teams. Those are, those are the main takeaways that I had from sport. When you move from playing football into the business world, where do people get it wrong? Because it sounds very natural to say, hey, look, of course, a business is a team and you have people on your team that have different skills. But time and time again, at least in my experience, and I'm sure in, in yours as well, you walk into a company and there's a team, air quotes, team, and it doesn't feel like a team. I think that there's a perception that business and sports, one's physical, one's typically mental, if we talk about knowledge workers. And it's the same with physical health and mental health, right? So I think that we just haven't been able to connect the two over time. Like you said, it sounds like it's just common sense, right? The best team wins. Jack Welch said that. Right. But I think when you're actually in it, when you're a CEO, you're leading a business, you're not only, especially in a startup, you're not only the manager. So you're not only on the sidelines, you're also in the game. So to coach while you're in the game, it's, it's just tough, right? And I think that it sometimes you have to take a step back, 
get your head up for some air and look around and then figure out what sport you're playing in. And if you're playing in the sport of business and you treat it like that, for me, it just becomes becomes more natural, right? Yes, one of the things that I've talked about a lot is player coaches. You know, when I was a manager years ago, we'd have staff meetings and I'd sit at the head of the table and we I'd be a manager. And then when I started working with freelancers or just the on-demand economy or the talent economy, you know, I was a player coach. I, I both had a team and I had to empower them but I mean, I, I had my hands dirty, rolled up doing as, as much work as I could. And that's how I was reskilling. And so there's a, there's importance of being on the field as well as having the, the responsibility of, of calling the shots. And it's hard. I think that's one of the things that makes this such a hard cultural change in changing the way we work. Cause people are used to, Hey man, I'm now the coach, Yep. you know, I'm the manager. I've, I've worked for 15 years and I'm the coach and I'm on the sideline and I've got my assistant coaches and I've got my players on the field and all of a sudden, the roles have changed a little bit. Yeah. And I don't think there isn't a systematic program for that type of responsibility that you take on. You really start to learn once you're in the real world, once you've got to make tough decisions, once you've got to fire the first, your first person, once you have to make calls around budget, all those different types of things that are going to impact people. And it's kind of, well, with, without, well, you don't really need theory in practice right so you only really learn once you're in the trenches and you're working it out now there's one step before you got to adeco and in, in yos you were a career builder so take me through that transition and then you started truly visit so just a, a brief trip down memory lane and then we'll, we'll get into the work you're doing today at adeco sure so prior to that i was uh, so my transition from sports was uh, a company called la fitness so i was actually selling gym memberships. I thought I was going to go there and get a job in a gym. That was why I actually decided to go to LA Fitness. They had no gym, quote unquote, personal trainer job. So I started selling. And then I realized that I don't really like going out on the street corner and handing out leaflets. <laughs> Wait, did you have one of those like flippy signs? No, like I, 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 I had I had no signs. But okay. what, I, what I did do is I made sure that anybody who walked into the gym left with a gym membership. <laughs> so my close ratio was like 90%. And I thought, okay, I'm not bad at the sales thing. Let's look for a, a, a company where I can start to grow and excel. So CareerBuilder just moved over from the US to the UK. I started inside sales and I was there on and off. And I'll talk about Truly Visit in a second for, for 10 years. And I basically worked my way up. So inside sales, cold calling, 120 calls a day, just going at it. So that was that was really where I, I, I think I learned and I, I understood businesses because I had to speak to a lot of different types of businesses and figure, figure out what the opportunities were. Yeah, talk about persistence. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. That, and, and, and so you talked about the sports. and I, That's where the discipline came in. It was like, there's no way I'm leaving here today without getting a sale. And if I do leave here today without getting a sale, I'll go home and figure out what went wrong and then come back and change it. So now I'm imagining you like in your football uniform showing up to work every day. Like, <laughs> do, you, do you know what? It's actually reversed. So now you, you, you see me in my, my Yoss hoodie today. I used to wear suits with ties and pocket squares and socks. <laughs> I used to super overcompensate, right? That was my thing. But yeah, it was, it was a fun time. So I was there for a, a long period of time, 10 years, but I left after five years and was actually spending um, a lot of time traveling. And I saw an opportunity in helping people that were going to new locations, especially in the US, to organize trips and, and groups for them. So me and my cousin, so my cousin at the time, he just got a degree 
in sports science. So he was kind of on a sports track and then he was working for a hospitality company. And I said, well, why don't we just try and do this thing ourselves? So we set up Truly Visit. Um, we were arranging a lot of trips for football players and footballers to organise their um, incentive trips in Vegas. Um, and then we had it in multiple places and decided that after a period of time, this it wasn't really scalable. It wasn't a model. We learned a lot. We were using Salesforce. We were using HubSpot when it first came out. We were really using all of the tools that we actually use today in business and then went back to Career Builder and got an opportunity to be a director there and then led the European operation of staff and recruiting group and got promoted again. And Adeco had asked me to help them with their digital transformation uh, four years later after that. So you move into Adeco and you're doing innovation and digital transformation with them. What was the market like at that time? The market was was really in a state of big change. There were a lot of startups that you started to see that were coming up and they were really making a challenge for being the, the next disruptive business within the staff and the recruiting industry. Career Builder at the time, we've we done a fantastic job in terms of helping companies become more online. So they were using newspapers for adverts for jobs and so on. And then you started to see the wave that came in with, with, with LinkedIn as an example. And then at the time with Adeco, the market was really starting to move towards more platforms, a platform where you can match and manage talent, but also do end-to-end transactions. And there were a lot of those popping up. So we were really trying to figure out where we play and how we're going to win. And we spent a lot of time looking at organizations and companies that we felt that could potentially be disruptive or taking things from external industries and bringing them in to the staff and the recruiting industry. And that led you to found Yoast or, or, or get Yoast off the ground. I think that's one of the first times we met was when you were first come over from across the pond and, and were taking on Yoast and you were here in the United States. We met in Dallas, yep. Texas. Tell me about Yoast because you've, you've pivoted a couple of times as, you, as you've tried to figure out where Yoast can provide value in the larger Adeco group. Just in between that, so we had created a, a unit called Adeco Group X. And so I was running that, that unit and we had a team in San Francisco, Singapore, London, Northern Europe, and we were scanning the market for organizations and companies. But then in parallel, we had set up Yoast out of Paris and we actually partnered with Microsoft to build the platform initially. So we had 25 Microsoft developers in our office in Paris where we were working on, on, on this platform. And we initially started as a, a pure play marketplace for um, short-term assignments. And we started to see more and more of an opportunity as I moved over to the US. So I came, up, came out to run the US operation where companies were who were getting a bit more mature in this space, really wanted to bring their own talent that they had worked with previously to the platform. So instead of just providing the pure place marketplace where you can get access to on-demand gig workers, quote unquote, we'd opened up the platform and um, really allowed organizations to bring their own talent and they can match, manage and create their own talent pool. So the pivot was very much from being a marketplace more to a software provider. And we still have the marketplace and that actually fuels the software piece as well. 
when you looked at the market and, and you looked at moving into software and you had more organizations realizing that they didn't have a handle on their independent talent. Like I talked to a lot of organizations. I know you talk to a lot of large organizations and they don't have a full control or end to end transparency into this amazing talent, which is making up more and more of their, their total workforce. But what was the problem that you were looking to solve specifically when you were starting to provide transparency to their broader independent talent? The initial problem was was visibility on their workforce. So how do I have a lens into my workforce? But what that led us to was having departments being able to share talent across their organization. So if you've done a fantastic market marketing project for someone in a healthcare division of your huge Fortune 500 organization, maybe the aviation division also would like to get access to that talent because marketing is a, is, is a cross-functional or skill that, that that's required. So it's really bringing people that have done a good job before and being able to redeploy them. And the problem was that the, the companies were actually going out and spending more money for the same process over and over again. And, and having it, to reboot those, bringing them context, booting them up on how the systems work and the culture of the company. Yeah, so you, you, you've got, we call it RIV, so making sure that talent's relevant, interested and verified. And you have the talent that's verified at a certain point and it costs a lot of money to get them to that point and takes a lot of time. And if they're verified to your point, it could be around systems. It could also be around the fact that they've just gone through the pre-checks to actually work at this organization from a security or clearance standpoint. So having that pre-identified verified talent along with the new talent that you may want to get access to, that was really the problem that we were focusing on. I've even seen where independent talent knows more about the organization than some of the full-time people in because they've worked in different groups. And so they bring that expertise of, hey, wait, here's the best practices of what's going on in your company. And you may not be able to see it because you're in a, a specific silo. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think that there's a lot of knowledge from independent contractors. And quite frankly, it just hasn't been shared across organizations, both internally that they might be working with and also externally. And you see it with employees, right? You see it with full-time employees. Departments don't speak to each other. And that's just kind of the nature of how things work in big corporations. It's not one big team. Go back to your sports, but your sports analogy. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And I, I think it's tough with scale. So as you get bigger, the organization gets more complex. You, you're in multiple countries, sometimes speaking different languages. And it gets tough to kind of glue that all together. And to your point, if you've got maybe a freelancer that worked in five different countries and five different departments, they're going to know more about the organization than a lot of those folks that are internal. Yeah, many consultant companies actually make their money off yeah. the fact that they know your organization better. <laughs> One of the things that we talk a lot about on the show and, and some work we're doing this year is is convergence. I was talking to Barry Asin over at Staffing Industry Analyst, and we were talking about how CareerBuilder and the you know the job boards came in, and everybody's like, oh, they're going to get rid of the staffing agencies. It's all going to be job boards. And, you know, that didn't happen, but companies like LinkedIn came in and are extremely valuable yep. to staffing agencies, and staffing agencies updated what they could provide based on partnering with the job boards. When you look at online platforms or marketplaces – how do you look at that convergence? You're both part of a large, the largest staffing agency on the planet. And in this space, trying to figure out platforms and marketplaces and software, how do you see that convergence happening today and over the next couple of years? Yeah, I, th I think when you're in a business that's focused on people, there are a lot of relationships that really make up the overall thread of 
how that industry is built, right? So it's kind of, if you think of it like a, a quilted blanket, right? Those relationships are really hard to unstitch. I think what you start to, to see more of is you see the convergence of tech and talent. And it's less of a revolution and more of an evolution. And when you have people involved, it takes a lot of time to change mindsets on how people want to purchase, right? As an example, do they want to actually go on site and get access to talent the first time? Once they do it once, they might do it over and over and over again. And that's why you see a lot of the companies that are in, in that space today, they have an enterprise division or they have a division that can work with larger organizations and larger companies. So I think from an enterprise standpoint, they generally want that handholding. So you're starting to see the skills of that relationship building, as well as some of the automation come in around the matching and recruiting when it's already been done previously. So if it's high frequency, high volume, highly repetitive, it lends well for automation. So I think you're taking the best parts out of that, as well as those relationship building, you're bringing that together. And I think that's the difference between maybe a company that you might see being built just solely out of Silicon Valley versus a staffing firm. And they're, they, they're two worlds apart. And then you start to see that those companies now, um, some are adding more sales folks on their side and then, <laughs> and then the other companies trying to add more tech on their side. And naturally it's going to be who gets to the middle faster. I think there's a lot of partnership opportunities over time where the people that are building the tech and, and similar to your transparency. And if I say I'm a large enterprise organization and I have a billion dollars or half a billion dollars of contingent labor spend, you know, just being able to see transparently what that is, make it efficient, making sure the right talent is in the right place at the right time, providing my business units the ability to get experts and, and move faster, that alone is powerful. And we're not even talking about super complex technology. We'll get into AI in a second. <laughs> <laughs> I think with big organizations, they really they have a long-term vision, long-term plan, but they want to see short-term returns. It's kind of where is that pain point that you can focus in on? And then naturally off the back of that, there are going to be other areas that you can have a positive impact on. Like you mentioned, kind of creating a network effects across an, an, an organization, being in a situation where you can uncover where your gaps are, your skills gaps. But then if you use that information, use that data, you can also plan, right? And I think sometimes a lot of the challenges is that the window of those executives that you're actually selling to is just quite frankly, a little bit shorter on the, on the life, shorter than the lifetime of the entire organization. Right. You'd mentioned when you first started doing the ADECO X stuff and working with the OS that you had teams all over. Let's talk about remote work sure. very quickly because I, I work with a fully distributed team. I spent mm -hmm. 20 years captive driving to an office, sitting in meetings all day. Give me one benefit and one challenge that is relevant to people listening around remote work from your experience in running those international teams? I'll talk about the benefit just from maybe my perspective of a hiring manager or leader and then the perspective from, I think, the talent standpoint and, and, and doing both. But from, from my perspective, you can really get the best talent if location becomes irrelevant. If like, you get over your location bias, yeah, as I like to yeah, say. Yeah, absolutely. Having said that, on the flip side, the challenge is when you're in an organization is to try and build a consistent culture because you have to make it more deliberate because you spend less time together. And that doesn't mean that you can't do it. And I know that a lot of organizations have successfully done that. But in terms of the DNA of the organization, you have to really make a bold step in order to move that forward. And some companies are just quite frankly, not ready for that. And I think that we're talking a lot about knowledge work. 
But right now, you actually do need the train driver to be on site, kind of operating. <laughs> you, you do want the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like I do yeah. want my pilot to be in the pilot seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right now, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and just from the um, the the talents perspective, I think it's similar in in the sense that you have the opportunity to work with companies on gl- a global scale, right? So it just creates more opportunity for you. I think the challenge is, again, and I go back to culture and it's synonymous with, with the two. What we've heard is, um, and some of the studies that we've done is around isolation. So making sure that you feel like you're part of something, like you're part of an organization, a part of a culture, part of a community is important um, for people, but people absolutely love the, the flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that I've had to adapt to over the past eight months is I'm much more deliberate about planning lunches. I'm much more deliberate about staying in touch with people. I'm much, you know, even on my team, we do coffee talks, you know, where literally you spend 15 minutes with no agenda. Sometimes you talk about work and stuff. But one of the interesting things happened when I talked to someone in their own home, you know, I I spent years like you have as well, like going to meetings and, and seeing people in a company's space. But now when you talk, when I talk to people on Zoom, their kids come in, their dogs come in, their husbands or wives come in, and I'm in their space. And, and there's something really personal and interesting about that way of communication. If you can, like you said, be deliberate about making it happen. You know, I think isolation for a lot of people is a real thing. That is, it's a good point. Now let's talk about artificial intelligence. Let's <laughs> help me understand how you think of automation and separately how you think of artificial intelligence as it relates to making the experience for companies and talent better. Yeah, I think that it's an absolutely huge topic and it's ever evolving. AI for me is something that can be used to really ensure that the matchmaking is done more effectively. So matching the right talent to the right opportunity specifically from a skill standpoint. And you've started to see organizations that have been working on natural language processing, really understanding what that individual would like to do. So working more on the softer side, as well as understanding what the hard skills are and making sure that you can recommend people with the right roles and the right opportunities. I think that our industry is quite late to the party, in fact, when it comes to AI, because we we talk about it as an individual subject or we talk about it as something that is compartmentalized outside of a business or a module. Whereas in the e-commerce industry, it's been happening for years, right? Um, You see it with players like Amazon and you see it with all the other players that give you fantastic recommendations. I was watching Netflix last night and I I guarantee you that that algorithm is is based on a lot of machine learning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the challenge that you have is that we've got people involved. So the product that you're delivering on the other side, um, whether it's a, a, a book from Amazon or whether or not it's a film from Netflix is static and it doesn't have its own mind, right? Or its own personality. Are you saying that people are not predictable? Well, <laughs> and that machines are. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and, and, and I think you can start to get closer to the predictability of people and, and understand why they may do certain things. Having said that at the same time, it's just easier to predict that you may like a certain type of book if you're in the freelance industry, you may like gig mindset, right? <laughs> you may, <laughs> you may, you may. And so I think, I think making sure that those predictions are more accurate and more timely is, is something that we can spend a lot of time on in the industry, especially around the skills 
I say skills, I mean hard skills versus the soft skills, because I think there's still a, a big people element in that today. Yeah, I think it's one of the important things that, that you're doing at Yoss is actually getting the data and getting the transparency. Because I one of the things that any business, you can't even think about deploying the power of AI and, and some other things unless you have the data, unless the data is structured in a way that makes it powerful and understandable. And, and there's just a lack of transparency, I think, when it comes to whether it's full-time talent or contingent talent. Yeah. And I think that's where there's been a lot of funding in these areas of digitizing just how people work to, to make it better, more efficient and improve the quality. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like you mentioned, there's a whole process to ensure that you can leverage artificial intelligence and, and it starts with the data. So it's garbage in, garbage out. Right. So there's a whole ingestion process that you have to do. Then you have to make sure that the data is cleaned and structured in a certain manner. And then you've got different sensors where you can actually collect the information and data and you're constantly enriching that information. We're in a time now where people are becoming a lot more sensitive about their information, a lot more sensitive about their data and who owns it and who's the owner of that information. So I think kind of watch this space, but there's definitely a lot of opportunity within the recruiting freelance industry to leverage information to give people better opportunities. One of the major changes that I went through when I started working with freelancers versus traditional staffing agencies, when I would go hire someone from a staffing agency, I would generally sit down with uh, whoever the rep was for the staffing agency. I would have a meeting with them. They'd take notes about what I wanted. And maybe they would help write an SOW or some sort of statement of work. Or I would just like type words into like some form that was, you know, and then a person would show up. And when you think about that, it's actually not helpful data. It was never digitized in a way that was about the project, about really what my needs were, what I was trying to accomplish. It was all done in a conversation, usually over coffee, which yep. I think, or over the phone, or over fax back in the day. But, <laughs> I mean, but none of that was digitized. When I moved to working with freelancers to do project-based work, I had to communicate in a digital form exactly what I wanted, or at least close to it, because in order for people to respond and share interest, it was my responsibility to digitize that information. And, and if I didn't do a good job, I wouldn't get good talent. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't that you could go type in rutabaga, rutabaga. I you know want somebody to do an Android app and then have a conversation. You were communicating digitally. And for me, that was sort of this aha moment when you talk about digital transformation or the ability to use structured data for AI, that's very different than how traditional staffing is done. Yeah. I, th- I think that again, there'll be different ways to collect that information and collect that data. So us even talking on this podcast right now. It's all digital. It's all digital. You can transcribe it. It will be transcribed. Yeah, you can <laughs> use, use that information. I actually remember when I was well, first starting Truly Visit, and one of the first things I thought was, I need a product, I need a product. I, like, I, need, I need a platform. So I was using a freelance platform at the time, and I had decided to work with some freelancers that were remote. I was in London, and I was getting up at 5 a.m., I was convinced I was giving them the right information to get the project done. However, if I look back <laughs> on that, <laughs> if I look back on that, how I had structured the projects really wasn't that, that helpful. Again, it was kind of garbage in, garbage out. And then I had got this clunky platform that was- You got exactly uh, what you asked for. Yeah, I got, exa- <laughs> I got exactly what I asked for, right? And then I'd spent a ton of personal cash at the time because it was all all, all personal building this platform and learn a lot and I learned that people are not 
good at writing briefs. That's right. <laughs> and still to this day, people are not good at writing briefs. So I think that, so going back to AI, I think there's a lot of work that can be done on, on that side as well. Really helping people write briefs that are going to give you a high quality outcome, but you have to have the outcomes first to then ensure that you can feed that back in to the engine and close the feedback loop. Yeah, I've, I've spent a lot more time on the front end before I kick off any project. Because when I was doing, yeah, I've got three websites that didn't launch because I learned the same thing too. Like yeah. I woke up and I was like, and I, and I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to set expectations. I would just, being a company man, just kind of say some words and some <laughs> slides and magical stuff happens. And in this world, you have to be very prescriptive and you have to know what you want. So if I give you a magical magic ball, I just say in the next five years. A crystal ball. A crystal. Was it a magic ball? I was thinking magic eight ball, but then you said then crystal. If I give you a, a crystal ball, <laughs> magic eight ball is the one that you do this and it, okay. you know those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're not going to give you one of those. <laughs> so if I take away your magic eight ball, if I give you a crystal ball yeah. and I say, hey, one, where is, let's say a Deco Enyos, like oh, you know, the, the, okay. the companies together. Yeah. You're a unique individual trying to disrupt or, or educate from the inside of a company. And as someone who has, has <laughs> done that and, and, you know, wears those battle scars. I, re, I respect the work you're doing. But if you look at, you know, Yost and Adeco in five years, what's changed? What are a couple of things that have changed? I think that Adeco becomes a lot more digital in the way that they operate. The focus for the Adeco group is generally going to be on relationships. So I think building high quality relationships have done a fantastic job and understanding what the customers want, which we, which we do today. But to your point, digitalizing a lot of that information to make sure that we learn from mistakes and we can automate processes that quite frankly, our high quality people do not want to do. And then I think from the, the, the Yoss standpoint, what you'll start to see is Yoss as an infrastructure, as a service, really providing the backbone to the freelance contract and the gig economy, as well as having to leverage some skills that are soft skills that are going to be people led in terms of relationships to work with large enterprises. So I think you'll see a convergence of the two, in fact. So even though you believe in the power of AI, you're saying that humans are still going to be around in five years. I just want to read it on the record. Uh, uh, some humans will still be around <laughs> in five years. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was, I, I was actually at our, our national conference in, in, in Austin a couple of weeks ago for a Deco group. And I was sitting there, I was talking to um, one of the leaders, CEO for professional, and I, and I was looking around and people were getting their awards and there was a lot of good work that had been done. And I was just thinking about it and I said to him, do you know what? I don't think that this industry is going to be without humans anytime, anytime soon. soon. <laughs> and he said to me, and so he was actually one of the guys, he said, Marcus, that was why I hired you because you could see both sides. <laughs> and I think when I was in the kind of digital innovation, global position, I was more looking at what can we automate? We can all automate everything, but you see the valuable relation. I mean, we've got a lot of um, folks that are on site at clients, right? They're yeah. walking the halls, they're spending time with them. They some some folks are, are, are having relationships 15, 17 years working with the same client. That does not change overnight. Just because somebody in Silicon Valley decided to put up some, some software or platform. It will absolutely evolve, but it will not completely change overnight. I think that's a unique perspective that sometimes is forgotten in the hype cycle of of technology that the human capital business starts with 
humans and, and relationships and technology can make it much better on both sides. And, and I think that's the, the work that you guys are doing at Yoast is, is amazing. This is my favorite part of the show. It's a rapid fire section. I'm going to ask you five questions. Uh, and we even added a section uh, where you get to ask me any two questions that you'd like me to answer. And by contract, I have to answer them. Ready? Let's go. What is one thing about you that's not on your LinkedIn profile? That I think I'm really funny. If you could change lives with anyone for one day, who would it be and why? My mum. So I would know how hard it was to raise someone like me. <laughs> That's actually a really it's a great answer. If you were stranded on an island and can only bring two things with you, what would you bring? That's a tough one. <laughs> Today I'd bring my wife and son. What book or movie has had the greatest impact on you in the past year? In the past year... It's a bit of a chunky one. It's called G-E-B, Godel Erschkenbach. It's about music, so classical music, science and culture, and the three greats in that particular area and spotting patterns within it. And I'm actually still going through that book. So I I, I have, uh, it's, it's a bit of a chunky one i was about to say that that's not an afternoon read i'm, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm watching you i'm watching you process everything you've learned and try to describe the book and and it's it's one of those that'll probably take the year to finish yeah but. it's a book that talks about modules and patterns and how they're interlinked with all walks of life right so whether that's science culture i mean it's not necessarily a read that everybody will like but i'm having fun with it and my last question which is more important Radical curiosity or attention to detail? Radical curiosity. I'm still waiting for the day that somebody, like I asked that question because most of the people that I interview are super curious and, and interesting people, but I'm waiting for somebody to say attention to detail because throughout my career, the one thing that I sometimes have been accused of lacking is attention to detail. And I'm waiting, so I want to meet somebody who says, yeah, it's about, please tell me why. I've been waiting for 30 years for somebody to tell me why attention to detail is uh, the most important you get your chance to ask me two questions. Any, any two. Two questions. So who's been the biggest influence on your life prior to your current wife, children? It would, of course, be my, my parents. I mean, at, at the core of it, they supported every crazy idea, every curiosity. I was a competitive swimmer and my dad went to every swim meet and they, they said, you, you have to do something. They weren't, you had to do something healthy. Like I couldn't go be a, you know in a gang or anything. But, you know, as long as you choose to do something, we will support you. And so I played a bunch of sports and I did a bunch of things. And I think that that free ability to just explore, you know, with their support was really amazing. And I still feel that today, like I can go off and explore and I'm not, you know, I could always go move back home. Yeah. <laughs> Even to yeah. this day, I can go move back home. Not, not planning to mom and dad. And uh, second question, how will you define success in the next five to 10 years based on this current journey that you're on? For me, you know, at the highest level, the democratization of opportunity is, is kind of a, a mission statement that I, I really lean into. If I look in five years and every Fortune 500 company has a freelance program or they have a pilot or, you know, the, their HR department and their procurement department are working together to figure out how to support remote work and how to to lean in and partner with the the various platforms and people that are in this space, then I think it's 
success. I think the the thing that helped me take the jump from being at a large corporation is when we launched the Microsoft 365 Freelance Toolkit, which was Microsoft you know technology. The number of companies that reached out and said, "Hey, we're just starting to think about this," blew my mind. Yeah, you know, I thought hang this solution area. You know, maybe five or six people would say they're interested. I had no idea. You know, I'm not in the inside of HR departments and procurement departments. Think through the work. You know, I look at my LinkedIn inbox today and I look at the response to the book. I look to the response of, of the staffing.com work and some of the other stuff that we have in the hopper and the number of companies that are starting to think about it, the number of progressive voices inside that company that are willing to come out of the shadows and say, hey, I believe this and I'll take the risk to drive this in my company is how I measure success. You know, the, the number of people I can get on this podcast that work for big companies that are willing to say, hey, I too at this enterprise Fortune 500 company, I'm starting a program. I think that's how I, how I can be helpful. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, hey, thanks a lot. If somebody wants to get in touch with you or learn more about Yos, how do they do that? If you want to get in touch with me, you can follow me on Twitter at Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, Sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E double R. Or you can connect with me on LinkedIn, same name. There you go. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time today. Cheers. Thanks, Paul. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Thank you for listening to the Talent Economy Podcast. Learn more about the future of work and the transformation of the staffing industry from those leading the conversation at staffing.com, where you can hear from experts, sign up for our weekly newsletter, and get access to the best industry research on the future of staffing. If you've enjoyed the conversation, we'd appreciate you rating us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, or just tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of The Talent Economy.